Welcome to On Conscious. This is episode 21, Great Skin Without the Rubbish, an interview with Mukti Organics founder, Mukti. Welcome to On Conscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. Every one of us would love to have great skin if we had the choice, I'm sure. But when it comes to skincare, do natural products produce the same results as their synthetic competitors? And how do we decipher labels so we know that what we're getting is a truly natural and safe product? Today we speak with Mukti, founder of Mukti Organics and natural skincare veteran of more than 20 years. Look, I think people want it's a balance because they want to use natural and organic ingredients because they're concerned about the harmful effects of a lot of the other ingredients and, and exposure to potential carcinogens and endocrine disrupting chemicals. So I think there's that awareness now and, and the consumer's really educated. What I really like is getting the results and the feedback and seeing people's skin change and, and affecting them in a positive in a positive way. So let's jump in. Mukti, you launched your brand in 2000. You were so ahead of the curve back then. What sort of landscape was it for natural beauty products uh, back in 2000 and who were your competitors? Well, back then it was probably 1998 when I was using different brands from across the globe on my clients and I couldn't find a skincare brand that was a professional brand, as in had back bar products that um, was readily available in Australia. So there were brands like Waleda and Holshka and Jalik, so I took my inspiration from them. Yeah. And But there wasn't really anything as far as in the professional range of products as a beautician and, and as an esthetician that I could find that was readily available. So that was really what led me to create the brand, uh, which I, I think is a, it, it's relevant to say that because then there really wasn't anything available and now there's so much available so it's not really relevant to say that anymore. Yeah, um, and it's funny because it's only it's actually, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago. It's two decades, but um, I don't know if you know, but I had a natural beauty boutique back then, a little retail store, and Mukti was one of the first brands we picked up in 2001 back when you had your blue glass bottles. Remember that era? <laughs> yes, that was the first iteration of the brand. Yeah, yeah I was at the Umundi Markets. That was really where I launched the brand. And the blue bottles were beautiful. Remember the Matus-style mm-hmm. glass bottles to get the cleansers were in them, I think. And um, But I realised quickly that they were impractical and um, they were very sort of heavy to move around. And yeah. so I realised once I started to scale it, I needed to look at the packaging. I mean, packaging is one of the biggest things. But I, what was the name of your business back then? Um, it was called Out of Eden. We had a store That's in right. in Adelaide, yeah, down in Semaphore, and then we had three stores eventually. But, yeah, Mukti was, was you know, the funny thing is too, you were not only one of my first brands, but when I look back, you're pretty much the only brand that started around that time that is actually still going. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. I, that's a, 
a lot of tenacity. Um, yeah. I think that's the thing when you start something, it does take a lot of tenacity, especially if you're bootstrapping, which is what I've done the whole mm. way. But it also makes you extend yourself and become very creative um, because you don't have the access to those financial resources. You've got to think of ways to do things. It's a little bit outside of the box. Um, and I think that's part of that entrepreneurial journey. You've just got to be really committed to, and passionate about what you do. Yeah, and, and ride the waves. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of those. There's been some tsunamis in there, that's for sure. <laughs> and that is why you're still here. You get good at riding those, don't you? Oh, gosh, yes, you do. You get you get wiser and um, yeah. I think that's just part of life's journey as long as um, – you've got that enjoyment and fulfilment and you, for me I feel like I'm making a difference and, and that's the most important thing that drives me. Yeah, absolutely. When you launched your brand, had you already had your naturopathic qualifications? Yeah, so I started back in, oh gosh, when did I finish my degree? It must have been, I can't remember now the dates. All kind of molded, melted in <laughs> 90 something. Yeah, so, I was actually doing a psychology degree when I started. Oh, the wow. Yeah, and I we got to data analysis and statistics, and I just I just couldn't I couldn't discipline myself to finish it. And um, mm. I started working in a an air and it wasn't an Airbnb, it was a bed bed and breakfast, more of a luxury bed mm-hmm. and breakfast in the town of Mullaney. And it was where teachers and nurses used to come for, they'd have a sort of Monday, Tuesday there when um, they'd come in big groups and they'd have a massage and a facial. And that was really oh, when, wow. mm, and that was when my eldest daughter was, she was only quite young. So it worked for me just to come in and do those few days part-time and do the facials and have that experience of being able to work with clients one-on-one. Um, and that was when I recognised or saw that gap because I had clients and then they were asking me what skincare product I would recommend for them. And I thought, well, I'm doing these facials. Maybe I could create something and then they can use the products and take them home. And that was really where I saw the opportunity. Uh, and then uh, alongside that, I was doing the markets as well, Yumundi markets, and then I did uh, what was called the New Employment Incentive Scheme, which I think oh, is yes. still going. I remember mm. that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I did that as well, actually, back in the day. That was yes, very handy. It was. So that was basically enough money to live off and mm. um, pay the pay the bills, pay the rent, and then be able to do the business on the on, as a side hustle. Yeah. And, and the markets were good, of course, because back then people frequented the markets and I started building my database from there. I collected email addresses and it was, you know, it was before the internet and websites yeah. and that was all around to 2000 and then I, I had the website after that. But it was very much you really had to go out and, and source your clients and and find businesses that would take the products. So my my vision back then was a little bit, wasn't as clear because I just thought if I can get it into as many places as possible, um, 
so it was sort of health food and pharmacy back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but not many people wanted to touch natural and organic products. They weren't really interested in them or they didn't really understand yeah. or it wasn't, there wasn't such a demand. Yeah, absolutely. And the products were, were different. And, and on that topic, how have your products and formulations changed in that sort of 20-year period? Well, they've all had quite a few iterations now because back then it was fairly rudimentary. There weren't a lot of raw materials to choose from, so they were really quite basic. Um, so I've revised all of them and I still continue to do that because I yeah. can, there's new ingredients that would definitely help upgrade those formulas or amplify the results. So I review them regularly. And then the ones that I feel I need a little bit of a tweak or an upgrade or aren't quite right or I'm not entirely satisfied with them as far as what their capabilities are or what they could deliver, I take them and then I we call it product maintenance and we put, <laughs> we put it through. We sit it down and put it through a review process and sometimes at the end of that review process we might just scrap the whole product or the formula but we'll see how it's performing as as far as um you know how well it's performing from a financial perspective and then we'll look at how we can upgrade it so that's really that's probably a key to the longevity of the brand too isn't it because you you have to really be constantly reinventing yourself as any brand but also with natural products because the landscape and the availability of ingredients has changed so much in two decades if you're not constantly reevaluating and seeing how you can improve then I think you very much get left behind and that's I, I imagine that's a really big key to the success of Mukti. Yes so you do you have to keep changing and you have to keep evolving I think that's that's sort of life, isn't it? You can't really stay yeah. still when you, when you get stuck. So it's a constant evolution. Yeah, so I, I enjoy that side of it. I enjoy mm. pulling the formulations apart and putting them back together again and then also really assessing what what is trending. And But at the end of the day, what I, what I really like is getting the results and the feedback and seeing people's skin change and... And affecting them in a positive, in a positive way. So that's really my greatest satisfaction. What do you think has changed about the consumers of natural skincare, and what are they looking for or expecting now compared to the consumers of twenty years ago? Look, I think people want it's a balance because they want to use natural and organic ingredients because they're concerned about the harmful effects of a lot of the other ingredients and and exposure to potential carcinogens and endocrine disrupting chemicals. So I think there's that awareness now and and the consumer's really educated, whereas before they they probably didn't have as much access to the information that we do now. I think there's a lot of emphasis on on visuals uh, now as well, which can be a bit deceptive and everything's... um, Everything's so fast moving and so fast paced, but I think my customer avatar, or the or the the person that resonates with our brand, is someone who wants products that are natural and organic, but are effective and and work and deliver results. And I think that's what we've really 
nailed um, mm. and it's become sort of more of a lifestyle brand for us. Um, that's what I think has given us a longevity as well. And I think we're in an era where people don't have to compromise anymore when it comes to natural skincare, aren't we? Because there's there's so many incredible uh, ingredients that can give such amazing results. I think no longer do people feel like, well, if it's going to be natural, it's not going to quite work the same as, you know, the, the product I buy from the department store or the pharmacy or the, the beautician or whatever. There's not that need to compromise anymore, is there? No, and I think the other thing is there's starting to be more evidence uh, and, and scientific data to quantify a lot of the ingredients because there's been such a consumer demand. So there's been a lot more research going into certain uh, natural ingredients and what their benefits are. And um, I think that's definitely helped with this. Well, it's I guess it's no longer a trend. It's a movement, really, um, and people... People are educated. What can botanical ingredients offer to our skin that synthetics can't? That's a good question. I mean, if you take, let's say, a mineral oil, for example, as a basis of a what would have been a mainstream product, uh, uh, you know, 20 years ago, um, it, it has stability but and it's cost-effective, but then you compare that to any of the amazing plant-based oils that we have and you've got all these phytonutrients, you've got antioxidants, you've got vitamins, you've got uh, a lot of nutrients in that oil as opposed to something that's offering nothing other than emollient properties. But with that comes a shelf life problem. So you've got to have, you've got to be able to stabilise those ingredients because everything's going to oxidise over a period of time. So what we've got to remember is that botanical ingredients can offer a lot, but they also have a shelf life on them as well. So you've got to make sure your products aren't oxidised. To say that a certified organic or natural product has got a two or three shelf life, two or three year shelf life is really an impossibility. It's going to degrade. So mm. we like to make things in small batches so that they're as fresh as possible. And then we also put them in biophotonic glass, which helps to preserve them and protect them from sunlight. So I think all of those things are really important. And you've got to have antioxidants in your products to to stop that process of breaking down. And as soon as you combine several ingredients together, you are going to, um, and, and you put water in, for example, you do have to preserve your products as well. So mm. It's funny because... Often people will see that or consumers will see that as, um, I guess, one of the negatives of natural skincare or even natural perfume is, oh, my goodness, it, you know, it, it oxidizes, it, it doesn't have a long shelf life. But in actual fact, this, <laughs> this is um, a benefit and this is showing you um, how biology works and should work. So because, because our bodies work so much better using um biological products let's say for lack of a better term they should be breaking down um you know and oxidizing and if they're not that's a bigger concern and we find the same thing with perfumes as well where people have an expectation that the fragrance will last and last and last for you know 12 hours or even 24 hours and my comment is always if it's lasting then there's something wrong it means that the biology isn't working if 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 um 
if natural chemistry is occurring, ingredients should break down on exposure to air and skin and so on. So I actually think that's a really beautiful thing about natural products. Yes, and it's a safety mechanism really. It's like anything in nature degrades and 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 decomposes. So if it's not doing that, then there is a problem. And that's when you come in, as you know, with um, perfumes, for example, you know, the the, the diethyl phthalates, et cetera, that give it that property that sticks and adheres to the skin. Um, mm. It's it's very, very concerning. And um, I, I, I'm so amazed and surprised by people that are walking around with these fragrances stuck, to, literally stuck to their skin. I wish there was some visual way that you could, that they could see what they're doing and how, they're damaging themselves by applying yeah. these synthetic fragrances in particular to their bodies and, and using them in the washing powders and this overuse of these toxins that are really quite seriously damaging to the environment and also to the human organism. I think that's the biggest thing and I, I, I think that's where there is definitely room for more education. It's such a big one and... Um, I mean, people when they put on a perfume, for example, want it to to last, and they want to smell or, that, or have that fragrance lasting. But as you said, that's that's concerning. There's an issue there, and um, yeah. yeah, that's a huge, huge topic. I, I I would love to explore more with you at some some stage and really start focusing on educating people because I think that it really affects our health and human organism on so many levels, and so many people have no sense about pardon the pun, about the, the dangers of fragrances that are synthetic. Um, so that's why, you know, we, I, I only ever use essential oils and I only use them in very minute amounts that have therapeutic properties, but they don't, um, they're there for a reason, but they're in, you know, 0.0%. You know, there's really not a lot of harm that they can do to, the, yeah. to the skin or to the to the body or to the environment. Well, that's the other thing too, isn't it? Because natural is certainly better in most cases, but we have to be really careful to be respectful of the way that we use natural extracts because they're so concentrated and active and powerful in our bodies and on our bodies. So um, I think you can you can almost throw out the baby with the bathwater when you go, well, let's ditch synthetics. Yes, that's a great idea, but if you're going to use naturals and you're not going to be respectful of them, you can potentially cause yourself harm in other ways. And that's certainly not something that's talked about very often, is it? No, look, I don't think all synthetics are bad either. I think there's 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 synthetics that are laboratory synthesized that the that we already manifest or make within our own bodies, and um, I think there's there is such a thing as the safe synthetics uh, that are laboratory synthesized and that the body can recognize and assimilate. I think the issue is when the body doesn't recognize the synthetics and then it stores them in the fat cells and the adipose tissues of the body because it can't utilize them. So then you've got a, a problem with accumulation um, and bioaccumulation within the body because the body doesn't recognize this synthetic substance and it can't utilize it. So anything that's synthesized and, and used in our ingredients, say for example, it might be peptides, the body can manufacture them and utilize them but and recognize them because they're 
their structure is the same as what the body would normally be able to create. It's when the body doesn't recognise it, it becomes a problem. And then it adds to that toxic burden and that toxic overload and then you've got imbalances happening. Same thing with food. I mean, you know, hydrogenated fats, anything, synthetic flavours and artificial colours. The body does not know what to do with those ingredients. That's where you've got a problem. So, yeah. And often that's all happening very quietly under the surface until we, you know, we're hit with some giant illness or uh, some sort of condition that we can't pinpoint, you know, where it came from or whatever. But all this stuff happens quietly for years under the surface with exposure to pesticides and, as you say, synthetic chemicals and, and uh, yeah, lots of toxins that are, are out there. Um, in your book, Truth and Beauty, which is gorgeous, by the way, and is such a good um, reference for anybody who's interested in investigating more about holistic health and beauty and ingredients. It's just like um, for me who I love the nitty-gritty of stuff, this book is so interesting and it goes down all sorts of little rabbit holes, which I absolutely love. So well done for that. You start with a beautiful mission statement that I love so much, which includes this phrase, working towards a safe and sustainable future where we no longer need to certify our food and products. It's so ironic that we live in a world where nature isn't the norm or or the standard, isn't it? And where we have to provide evidence that products are natural and that natural is beneficial and safe, while products that are made from toxic synthetic ingredients get away almost scot-free. What's your thoughts around that? Look, I think that's just that disconnect from nature and I think that's where everything sort of we've, we've got to come back to back to our roots so to speak and have that nature connection in order to feel in that interconnectedness and that that sense of wholeness and I think that's just a reflection of how far we've 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 removed ourselves from that but there is a deep yearning within us to to want to be a part of nature or have those nature experiences um, mm. And I think, you know, moving yourself away from technology is important and to be grounded and have and at least every day have some kind of nature connection, uh, whether it be whatever you do. I mean, it's harder when you're living in a, in a city or you're in an environment where it doesn't lend itself to that experience. But um, I think that's... That's the devolution. That's the the process that we're on. That's the the struggle that we're faced with now because our lives aren't uh, we're removed. Everything we we don't experience hardship. We we live in these safe, cozy little boxes. And but but deep within us, there's a yearning to to connect back in. So I think that's part of what we're facing right now, and part of our demise as a as a human race. Um, it's that principle of biophilia isn't it which I only found that term about 18 months ago but I just absolutely love it it's that inherent desire in us as humans to want to connect and be part of nature I don't think that we can dampen that down for too long before it almost explodes within us we need to connect with nature frequently regularly like you said daily we it's just within us and we can't really ignore it for too long before that has devastating effects on all aspects of our life and health yeah I think that's why there's so many if you think about 
you know, depression and all these modern diseases that we have, I think a lot of it stems from that deep yearning just to be at one and be at peace and be connected in with with nature. It's what we're really craving at our yeah. very core, at our very foundation. Um, and without that, we, we won't and we can't survive. And that's just the reality of it right now. Mm. Um, going back to the book, thank you for that acknowledgement. The book I wrote that and it was released in 2018, so it's actually out of print now. I, Is it? Yeah, I self-published it and I just I only did a few thousand copies and it's like 5,000, so they're all wow. they're all out of print, but you might be able to still find some. Um, but, yeah, that was that started with um, the ingredients that I could find that I had blacklisted myself that I felt were questionable and were having an adverse effect on either humans or, or the environment or were questionable as far as their carcinogenic effect or endocrine disrupting potential. So the book hinged around that, but because that was sort of quite dry and hard-hitting, I then wanted to bring in uh, a lot of other educational resources as far as making it a bit more of a journey. So, yeah, it was it was a three-year process writing that. and um, Yeah, I bet. This is not a 12-month, you know, quickly knock it out kind of, <laughs> kind of a book. It's very comprehensive, Mukti. Yeah, I enjoyed the process as well. I, I, I always love researching and writing, so it was it was an enjoyable it was an enjoyable creation. And um, I, I might do another. I might revise it and then look to get it published, perhaps if there's a demand for it. But it was. I felt like it was a really important thing to take everything that I'd learned and be able to put it into one concise package um mm. and it was really well received which was great because i you know you don't really know how a book's going to be perceived especially when uh, you don't have a distributor for it or it's self-published it's a it's a, a lot of harder to get that information out there so it was very much a word of mouth which was great and um mm. i felt really satisfied once i'd done it i just i think there's they say everyone's got a book in them and it's good to actually just get that out there and yeah I was really happy with the end result and and I imagine once you do one you you have a second book in you almost straight away would that be true yeah I do it's a lot of discipline um I think I think for me right now it's just been such a roller coaster the last year with business and we've been very fortunate because we experienced a lot of growth in in a time of turbulence but with that's come a whole lot of other issues and problems but I, I don't think I've got that space now I'm glad when it when I did publish it I had enough support around me to be able to do that and I'd get up in the morning and I'd write between four and nine before the business day started and it was a really beautiful quiet time of the day I think if ever you're going to get anything or accomplish anything as far as that material you've got to find that space or the right time of day for you that works where you can have that quiet time just and reflective time to to have that creative process evolve and yeah so for me it was it was very it was a year of really disciplining myself to get pull it all together but three years probably uh in total so it's not something (laughs) I want to look at doing again 
anytime soon. But I might so you're do thinking, a, oh, not another three years. <laughs> well, look, I think I'd just do a revised edition. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really passionate about uh, what I do every day. So working on the business as opposed to in it, and there's plenty to do just to, you know, just to keep delivering, I guess. So yeah, if I find, and keep educating too. Yeah, yeah, and I think you can do that through blogs and um, and EDMs just, you know, through your own marketing and if people are interested in the message that you have then they'll they'll pick it up and read it or resonate with, with what you're saying. So, yeah, I think, again, as, as we said before, it's always you have to keep evolving and changing. Yeah. You really encourage people to become label sleuths and investigate the products they use and the claims that are being made. For someone who's just beginning this journey, what are three simple things that they can do to start understanding labels and ingredients? That's a good question. So the the first thing to do is uh, look for the botanical names of uh, the ingredients that would be on the what's called the INCI, the International Non-Climentary Ingredient List. So you want to see as many of those Latin names closer to the top of the label you always look for where the preservative or what the preservative might be and that should be towards the end or the bottom of the inky. Is that always listed, Mukti, because I'm of, of the understanding and I don't know if it's still the case that if anything is, uh, is it less than 1%, it doesn't have to be listed on the label. Is that still the case? No, that's, that's not actually the case. It, it's, it, it has to be listed in the descending order and even down to, you know, zero point. Zero one percent should still be listed on the label. Okay. Uh, so you've got to. I, I think the best thing to do is divide the label into thirds. So you want to see uh, a lot of those cleaner ingredients at the top of the the label, and then you want to see preservative down towards the bottom, and then any claims as far as uh, say for any actives that are in there, you want to see them sort of up in that top half of the label at least. And definitely before the preservative. So, yeah, so I think that the best way, coming back to your question, is to take the label, divide it into thirds, see where the plant-based botanical ingredients are and, and make sure that that is most of what is in the product. Mm-hmm. People are fairly aware of what they might be allergic or sensitised to, so less is more in, in relation to labels and and ingredients when you are sensitized i'd be you know looking for products that don't have any essential oils in them as well i've just created a a new collection which is called the calming collection so i've made that fragrance free um specifically for people that have fragrance allergies or are sensitized or their skin barrier has been compromised so redness rosacea sensitivity and I think that's something that's becoming more prevalent at the moment because Mm. there's also a lot of people like to experiment and they like to try lots of different products and so then it's very easy to compromise your skin barrier and then it sets up a whole range of issues and it takes a long time to rebuild that skin barrier and you just have to really, it really has to be a less is more approach when that happens and uh, essential oils in particular can be 
irritating to anyone who's got a compromised skin barrier. So it's becoming more of an issue at the moment, I think. Um, so if you do have skin issues, acne, rosacea, etc., I think it's good just to pair right back and then introduce products slowly back into your regime. I think it's also important to look at products that you use every day and products that cover most of the body and products that are easily and readily absorbed. So anything under your armpits where you've got more hairs, there's more penetration and absorption that can happen in those parts of your body. Uh, Shampoos, conditioners, also even though they are wash off, they're penetrating the scalp. Um, Anything that you use in your mouth that you ingest as well, so lipsticks, mouthwashes, I'd be very, very concerned about using mouthwashes that aren't natural uh, and I'd be also concerned about and and using toothpastes that are as clean as possible as well because you've got your mucous membrane so there's more penetration and absorption in those parts of your body. So that'd be the main things I'd be looking at swapping out. First of all would be your toothpaste, your deodorant and your body lotion, for example, because it covers all your body and you use those regularly. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. and most people men and women would use those. So they'd be the three that I'd be really focused on to start with as well if you're making that swap to more natural organic skincare. Yeah, that's great. What are the mistakes that you see women making with their skincare routines that you think, oh, don't do that? I mean, you've given us a couple already which which are really good, but what should we be changing as soon as possible so that we're taking care of our skin um, but also that we're um, setting ourselves up to have great skin, you know, a decade or two decades from now. Yeah, well, the skin, obviously, as you age, continually changes. As you, you produce less collagen. You produce less hyaluronic acid, which your body naturally manufactures as well, and then everything starts to break down that we were talking about before. So you want to really look after your skin barrier. I think that's so important and Overexfoliation is definitely a problem where people exfoliate way too regularly. Um, mm, that's good. I didn't think of that actually. Yeah, so it feels that, so good <laughs> to slough it all off, doesn't it? It does, but you're yeah. actually disrupting the barrier, which is the protection that we have. So you've got to be, you've got to allow the skin time to to heal, and it naturally desquamates every or sheds skin. Um, yeah over a period of days and weeks and then that slows down and it's it's great to help that along but it's important not to overdo anything. So if after you use any products you find that there's a tingling or a spiking or redness or heat, then that's a really good indication that you've overdone something or your body or your skin's reacting in a way that isn't normal. Um, mm-hmm. So any sort of anything like that, you, there's a difference between um, allergies and sensitivities too. So when you have an allergic reaction, it's going to be pretty much instantaneous and you'll probably have to take a, an antihistamine um, to calm everything down straight away. So I've written a few posts about the difference between allergies and sensitivities as well. So it's, it's important to know the difference. But Can we find those on your website? Yes, you should be able posts? to find yeah. them. Yeah, you should be able to find them at mukdiorganics.com and mm-hmm. then there's, there should be uh, 
search bar there where you can just type that in and be able to find that information. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think it's important just to also introduce products one at a time. Essentially, it's great to cleanse the skin at least once a day if you've been wearing makeup or sunscreens. Um, so it's important just to to remove that with a product that has uh, gentle surfactants in there because you don't want to be stripping the skin back. So you want it to have sort of plant-based surfactants wherever possible. And um, I think people that have acne tend to be uh, – use a lot of harsh products and aggressive products. So you want to start taking a more gentle approach and a long-term approach to your skincare. So I think, you know, essentially you want a cleanser, a moisturiser, something to help hydrate the skin. Uh, so you might be looking at uh, some sort of a serum to do that as well. And I love using mists, so I love... Uh, a rose blossom hydrosol, for example, I find that is beautiful to use throughout the day. It's very soothing and calming and it helps to absorb. It helps the, uh, the moisture to absorb and penetrate and spread when you're using a hydrosol and you're putting on a moisturiser. Using those two together is really important. So so cleanse hydrosol, moisturiser and, and some sort of serum and then a few drops of a, an oil that's uh, like a, we have a, an antioxidant facial oil and I use supercritically extracted oils in there. So they're CO2 extracted. So they're in their pristine state and they haven't been macerized, macerated or pulverised, similar to cellular, cellular extraction. You want to get those raw materials when they're, have all those actives um, that are bioreadily available that the skin can also benefit from it. It's basically like skin food then. Um, I love super critically extracted extracts. It, it almost feels as good as, you know, taking it from the plant and gently and putting it straight on your skin. It's To me it's sort of the um, similar thing to, you know, picking a peach straight off the tree and eating it. You almost get that, um, you know, very, very pure product purer than any other type of extract i suppose yeah absolutely so i use super critically co2 extracted uh antioxidant oils so they're really obviously they're a lot more expensive but yeah, they're going to have it. a lot more definitely a lot more benefit so you want to be looking out for that and, and also cellular extraction so all our native extracts are cellular extracted i think i was one of the first brands to incorporate native extracts into uh, formulations and when I did that I could see the results uh, that people were getting were incredible yeah that really amplified and took the the skincare results to a whole new level so I think they're amazing, amazing as well but again your ingredients are only as good as where you've sourced them from and how you've sourced them yeah. and I think it's important to look at the supply chain of where they've come from and you you know, we spend a lot of time sourcing our raw materials and making sure that they're the best that we can get, really. That procurement is such a big part of, I have someone doing that full time, just looking for the best ingredients. 
Yeah, that's incredible. And as you say, that makes all the difference because you can have a, a product that's 100% natural that has herbal extracts in it, but it's it's apples and oranges when you're comparing something that's, you talk about cellular extraction and CO2 extraction. It's not just a herb slapped with some oil and some water and there you go. It's just, it's almost a completely different product, isn't it? Yeah. And formulating products that deliver results is, it's a bit of a tricky process as well. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of expertise and I'm not saying that I'm an expert by any means. I've, I've had to figure out a lot of things myself back then because especially when I started because green chemistry was really in its infancy and there weren't too many people that you could turn to and ask for advice or help. So um, there's definitely been a, a challenging journey back in those early days but now there's just so many amazing ingredients that you can put into products i mean i'd love to just start again from scratch in so many ways but as i said before the process now is like taking those uh those products that i've had for a long time and then just upgrading them with and tweaking them so that they're even more beneficial yeah but yeah you want to be looking at when you're reading your labels too is, is looking for those co2 extractions or the cellular extractions and making sure that those ingredients are really going to deliver the results that that they say. Mm. What's the Mukti Organics approach to treating common skin issues like acne, rosacea, hyperpigmentation? Do you have sort of a one particular overarching approach or do you look at different skin conditions, um, you know, on a deeper level first? How do you approach it as a brand and as a product concept? Yeah, so now we're really focusing on customer care and online consults. So people can actually book in an online consult so they can have a Zoom session or they can speak to someone about their concerns. And and then I think that's, yeah, it's a a lot better way to be able to make sure that your uh, analysis is individualised and you're getting exactly what you need. So I always, again, I start people off that have got problems or concerns uh, and everything sort of irritating them or they might be at their wits end as far as they've tried everything and they don't know where to start. So I think going back to that minimalistic less is more approach is really important. But we have um, dedicated customer consultants that are trained beauty therapists or estheticians and they've got years of experience so they are able to customise and individualize someone's skincare requirements and their their protocol and assist them with their products and what they should use and how to use them because it can get quite intricate uh, as far as knowing what to use and when to use it as well. And now with uh, the extension of the brand, we really only sell on sell our products to places where well, we've really just become more salon and spa oriented where it's a professional only brand. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that I changed a few years ago as well. We do have a few e-commerce platforms, but we make sure that they've got consultants there who are well-educated and trained and understand the products and skincare requirements as well. So that's really important for us because I think now there's so much out there that, People are bombarded and they really don't know where to start. So I think it's it's important to have that have someone holding your hand along the way and uh, 
explaining to you and helping you with what your individual concerns may be. And that that leads me to another question, which is about beauty marketing. There's so many messages that especially women get these days, you know, use this, don't use this, a million different brands. Then you've got the 97-step skincare regime that's come from Asia and then it's, you know, like there's so many different um, messages and bits of advice. What are the messages that you see frequently coming from the, the beauty industry that just drive you bananas? Oh, well, there's so much I sort of tune out, I guess, to a large extent. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I think you've got to look out and be aware of any trends and look beyond the, the marketing and the hype of a product because you want to just look at treating your skin as gently as you can and respecting it really. I think that's the main thing. Acids and peels and exfoliating, as I mentioned before, can be very detrimental. Using vitamins is good for your skin, but you don't want to go too hard or too deep with things like a like a vitamin A, for example. And just because a percentage, the higher the percent of an ingredient doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have more benefit either. It really depends on so many different factors like a delivery mechanism. And so I think it's important to to be aware of what what is marketing and greenwashing as opposed to what are the long-term benefits of using this particular product. Um, yeah, you've just got to be really discerning. As I said, go back to basics, cleanse, tone, moisturise, add a serum in, make sure you're protecting yourself from the sun, especially in the middle of the day. But, again, sun is important for vitamin D synthesis, so it's good to get natural sunlight earlier on in the day, say before 9 a.m. Um, but I think also to get that vitamin D is, is important. Um, I live by the the beach and so I've got a, a natural tan, but I make sure that I only get that in, in, in the early hours of the day. Yeah. Um, and then I protect myself when I go out with sunscreen uh, if it's after, you know, between 10 and 3 p.m., for example, in the middle of an Australian summer, I wouldn't go outside without some sort of sunscreen on. I think it's important to be aware of uh, not buying into marketing that's not based on any real evidence. I think that's probably the easiest thing to say. Yeah, and that's such a challenge because we're bombarded, isn't it? So it's just yeah. trying to sort out the sort out what's true from what's not true. And as you say, get back to basics. I guess it's about understanding what skin is and what skin actually needs to be healthy and then kind of tuning the rest out somehow, isn't it? Yeah. Aging well isn't just a matter of spending half our paycheck on skincare or procedures like the media often seems to imply. In your book, you refer to intrinsic and extrinsic aging. What does that mean for how we age and what influence do we have over these factors and the appearance of aging on our skin? Yeah, so as I said before, sun is going to be one of the biggest factors that's uh, going to implicate how you age. Uh, so protecting yourself from the sun is important, especially living in Australia one of the most um, damaging environmental aspects that we have and you know it's lovely to have a, a tan and, and feel 
it, it's often related to health in our society, particularly in Australia. But then once you hit 40, you can really see the damage that the sun has on the skin and you start getting age spots and there's really not a great deal that you can do for that once you've done that damage. So protection is very important at a, at a young age and using a sunscreen every day. 365 days of the year is important as well. So using a physical block like zinc oxide, for example. Um, I think too with ageing, you know, we are a byproduct of what we do on a daily basis, uh, what we eat, any sort of things that are going to cause inflammation like alcohol, cross-linking glycation from sugars, all of these things are going to have a, a role and be instrumental in how well you age. So diet and lifestyle play a huge factor in that and then you know maintaining your skin with ingredients that are gentle and and are going to create any irritation or inflammation on the skin is really important as well i'm going to go to one last question and i know that you love to talk about biohacks and <laughs> i know you use when i've heard interviews with you with other people you talk often about some of the little biohacks that you and your your partner often use what would be your top 5 game changing hacks and for people who really want to up their skincare routine where do you think they'll get the biggest bang for for buck so two kind of different questions there but perhaps related yeah great Question. So I think sleep is the foundation of of having a good life. I think if you have good quality sleep, you're able to operate and be a lot more effective and efficient. So eight hours of sleep is is really important. Um, what I do to get that and to have uninter- uninterrupted sleep is I have a little routine and I make sure that I use earplugs I use an eye mask I also use a chili pad which keeps the temperature down when we sleep so that's set at about 14 to 16 degrees celsius that just it, it it's like a um it's the opposite of an electric blanket so you have that on, on your bed oh I've never a chili pad is it yeah keeps I've things cool baby yeah huh. <laughs> yeah so that's really good um saunas uh ice baths cold showers one of the biggest things that i have recently done is i've really focused in on breath work and breathing so at night time i actually take my mouth that wow mm. (laughs) i'm just having pictures of silence of the lambs right now (laughs) it's so funny if you broke into our house to see my (laughs) so we use um we use tape, 3M tape, and we tape our mouth up as well at night time. And what that does is it forces you to breathe through your nose. So that helps the the pituitary gland to release vasopressin, which is a human, human growth hormone. So at night time when you're sleeping, that natural process uh, kicks in. And it's also stopped me from waking up and having to go to the bathroom and having to drink water wow. in the middle of the night. So it keeps you hydrated as well. It keeps you internally hydrated. So for optimal health, the best thing that you can do is, is learn how to nose breathe and be aware of breathing through your nose as much as possible. So that's been one of my best hacks that's improved my sleep. Um, wow. And just a really simple thing to do. So just before you fall asleep, you put the 3M tape just over your mouth. First time you do it, it's a little bit weird. And then after a couple of nights, you get used to it. And you're not even really aware that, uh, that it's there. 
Wow. So I've been getting solid sleep since I've been doing that. Um, I'm a big fan of Wim Hof and his breathing techniques and breath work. So I do three rounds of that in the morning um, and then cold showers as well mm-hmm. and avoiding any packeted foods. I don't have any sugar um, and I don't have any hydrogenated fats and I don't I don't have any anything that's been processed in my in my diet. So I think that's probably the main five hacks that were, that I do on a daily basis. Yep. That that's some seriously good advice. Probably a hard act to follow for most of us. But you're now my guru of biohacks because that's incredible oh, really? and that's, that's dedication. <laughs> yeah, I think just start with one thing or, or one or two things, but sleep is just yeah, you know, life changing, and you know that when you've been through motherhood and you get into oh, yeah. sleep for years, it's like, oh my god, I just want a full night sleep, please. Yep. So, and the first time that baby sleeps, you feel like you can take on the world. It's one oh. night of sleep, and it was six hours, but it was incredible. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember sleep. those days well. You know, oh my gosh, yeah, it makes all the difference. It is so important just to reset, and we we need that. So I'd be putting that at the top of the list, you know, make sure you get that solid night rest and then you can conquer the world. I don't think there's actually um, a lot of admiring to be done for people who say, I work until three and then I get up at six and I just sleep three hours and I just go and go and go. I don't know we should be admiring that because eventually you're going to hit the wall big time if you're not already. Yeah, and I think it's the same with, you know, this yo-yo dieting stuff too. You've got to look at life as you're in it for a long haul. Like what can you do every day that is supporting you to age well? And I think that's the most important thing that we need to take into consideration. Is this benefiting me in the long term? And, and you know, with all of everything that's going on in this crazy times that we're in, the one thing that is in your control is your health. That's great advice. You've given us so many great tips on health and skin and um, becoming more educated about health and beauty today. Mukti, if people want to find your brand or just more about you or more about some of your um, advice, where do they find you and where do they find Mukti Organics? Yeah, so we're on all the social media platforms on Instagram, I've got my own Instagram, which is at by Mukti, B-Y Mukti. And then the website is muktiorganics.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mukti. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. Thanks. It's been lovely to catch up. Thank you. Unconscious is presented by One Seed. Find out more at oneseedperfumes.com.